in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today are my good friends and co-hosts, Mr. Chad Robinson from right here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. This is a this is a fun configuration I haven't been a part of too much, so I'm excited. Yeah, and we have, uh, you notice I said hosts with an S, plural. The other host on the line here is Mr. Dustin Melbardis from deep in the heart of Texas. How you doing, sir? Ho, 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 come in and know me better, man. All right, yeah. And uh, that's the appropriate amount of Christmas spirit to have for this episode, so... This is the Christmas episode. I'm excited for this. And uh, I told Chad leading up to this, we needed to actually do something that had some Christmas spirit in it because uh, Chad and, and Fry aren't necessarily a big Christmas fan. So in years past, we've done movies like Ice Harvest, which doesn't necessarily make you feel good, even though it's an enjoyable movie to watch. And then uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is on the creepier side of things. So this is our first Christmas movie since like uh, Home Alone, which was a long, long time ago. So... I'm excited to get back into the spirit. So Dustin's Dustin's got the right level. Chad, where's your Christmas spirit level at? We're in the spirit. Oh. Yeah, you you need a visit from the Marley brothers, I think. So. Yes, we're Marley and Marley. <laughs> Chains. All right. I'm in a <laughs> I'm in a good mood, y'all. Chains. Which that sounds super awesome and like tough and like you know chains. Anyway. <laughs> So, they say it's better to give than to receive. What is one of the greatest Christmas gifts you have given? Dustin, why don't you take this one? I used to work with um, some people in their young 20s uh, back in Austin when I lived there. And I learned that one of the young men I worked with was actually living out of an uh, extended stay hotel. And he wasn't getting paid enough at the job we were both working at together. So I, uh, I asked him what his situation was. I learned kind of what was going on. And I, uh, I withdrew a little bit of money, and I uh, helped put down a, a down payment. I got him his own apartment uh, because he was going to get evicted. He was going to get kicked out of this extended stay hotel. Uh, his situation was bad. And we see that with Christmas movies, where a bad situation made better with the spirit of Christmas. And uh, in this situation, I just I saw something that needed improvement. He needed a, a helping hand, and I gave it to him. And over the period of the next two years, he paid me back $50 a month, and every payment was on time. So it was a gift of giving then, and then he, he had to make it right in his mind. And now he's living a great life. Still in Austin, I believe he's the assistant manager of a total nutrition. So it's just everything worked out great for that guy. Wow, the Christmas altruism is off the charts. Chad, um, you you have to follow that up. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to bring everyone down a little bit. Uh, we had lost my grandfather 
six years ago in April, and my family was having a really hard time. My wife and I had been trying to get pregnant without any success. This has been about a year, but we found out right before Christmas. So we were able to wrap up little presents for both sets of our parents, and they opened it, and it just brought a whole lot of joy to a holiday that was set to be pretty depressing. So uh, the the look on our family's faces when they realized, hey, we're going to have a granddaughter. Wow. That's grandchild. Great. <laughs> you know, I'll never forget that. Wow. That, that was the last opportunity. We also found out uh, Mary was going to have Grant at Christmas time, but we just told people, like, I didn't think about going to the dramatic emphasis. So, uh, yeah, that's... I'm going to bring it down another notch then. I, uh, I, I, I gave Mary her wedding ring and proposed on Christmas Day in a Christmas present, which um, I seemed creative at the time, but I've heard that that can happen. Um, so it's not as original as I thought. So, but uh, she said yes. So I think it's smart, though. I think it's smart and um, inspired in a way to take a day that's set for maybe gift giving in another context and then to kind of it, it's a kind of a curveball. I mean, yeah, you said it's been done before, but um, there's a lot of focus. Like you could take any other anniversary or even your own birthday. It's like, hey, this is a day meant to be given like gifts in this context. Surprise! Here's a diamond ring. Yeah, and it was in a larger box, not just a little little you know two inch by two inch box. So uh, you know it was a whole box that uh, it actually had a shirt in it, and so the shirt was on top. And it was like, look look closer. So, um, <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. Now, what is the last movie you saw, Dustin? Uh, the Raid Redemption uh, Kung Fu movie. Uh, it, it ended up being on my 2011 top 10. And um, just like the Muppets had to make that top 10 list, a Kung Fu movie had to make that list. And uh, I actually got that as a recommendation from a buddy here in town. And it is just an absolute killer, uh, so fast. The action scenes are both fast and lengthy. There's so much. You have hardly have time to catch your breath. I recommend watching The Raid Redemption. All right. And, Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you watched? Last movie I watched was Last Night in Soho. So it, it just came out to streaming. It had been in theaters. I loved it. It's a super polarizing movie. It's very stylish, very artsy, but it, it fit me and I had a good time. Interesting. And my last movie that I saw was The Muppet Movie, which was the movie that started all of this. And I watched that with my little man and uh, he had to break it into two pieces. He's only two, but um, he enjoyed it quite a bit and it's fun to introduce these characters to him. So uh, he also watched today's movie with us and uh with me anyway and it was a lot of fun to see the magic happening again for another generation so so that brings us to today's movie which is what dustin the muppet christmas carol that's right this muppet christmas carol it stars michael Caine, david goals stephen winmeyer frank oz and jerry nelson these are mostly voice actors uh who do the puppetry work but michael Caine, you see his face and he's not a puppet that we know of yet, um, it would be a very convincing puppet if it's if it, if he is indeed one. The release year for Muppet Christmas Carol is 1992. The amount gross is two, 27.2 million dollars. It places on the box office at 47. It's not necessarily as high as I would have predicted, especially for a family flick. Disney kind of 
crowded themselves. The number one movie that year was Aladdin, and The Muppet Christmas Carol had to go up against Aladdin. So poor planning on Disney's part to put those so close to each other. And uh, so it comes in behind Stop Where My Mom Will Shoot and ahead of Howard's End. And IMDb gives them up at Christmas Carol a 7.7. The critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it a 76%. And the audience score likes it more than those at uh, 86%. So no awards. Surprisingly, I would have thought actually maybe Wardrobe might have gotten some possibility for, for some awards. But it, it was overlooked for that. Uh, and it did not necessarily smash the box office. It also went up against Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. And, as I mentioned, Aladdin. So... Uh, it did not necessarily tear the doors off at the box office. I saw it in the movie theaters, though. I did my part. So, um, mm-hmm. Dustin, what was your background with The Muppet Christmas Carol? I also saw it in theaters, and I had a VHS of it growing up. Uh, I don't, I didn't have too many movies, but this is one that um, I actually did not have to stream for this uh, for this recording. I already had a copy. Because it is a classic of mine, certain Christmas movies, I think, are everyone's classics. And then certain Christmas movies are like, oh, no, this is our family classic. Like, we always watch White Christmas, whereas other families would say, we've never heard of White Christmas. I don't care about singing and dancing. Um, But Muppet Christmas Carol was always one of mine. Um, And the people that know me even a little bit know that I'm just a complete sucker for anything. The Muppets, anything associated with Jim Henson. Um, even Sesame Street as well. Uh, I am very much into the message of what Jim Henson wanted to bring to the world. And so uh, to tie it together with a classic Christmas story and to have it be done well, it was sort of a staple in my life since I was five years old. Now, Chad, what was your background with it? I've never seen it. So <laughs> I Wow, really? I've... First time. My parents did not really introduce the Muppets to me. It's been something that I've had to go back and watch. I do love them. Uh, They also would have made my top ten list. I think they were number four for the 2011 list. So I I love the Muppets quite a bit. But yeah, I I feel like this movie was something that I I had in the back of my memory banks of, yeah, I've seen it. Nope. Nope. This was not familiar, so came into it with fresh eyes you've seen other muppet movies oh yeah okay yep what a joyous present for you to be able to experience this like now like that's your own christmas present for the year to be able to get to see this fresh wow i'm really glad that we've got that perspective on here because i'm i i may have tipped my cards i love this movie i also saw this in theaters my mom took me we came home and told my dad about it uh also, VHS was purchased, and it became the movie we watched while we put the Christmas tree up. And so I watched it every year, skipping no years, I don't think, and probably having it more than once on some years. So I've watched this many, many times on VHS, and it's still on VHS, actually, is how we're watching it. <laughs> well, when you say uh, that like you, you have it going while you're putting the tree up, I think that's kind of a cool thing about Christmas movies that you, you, you rewatch especially with like a, a Muppet movie, especially with Christmas movies that have a unique score and their own songs. 
uh, that you, to where it's not about sitting down and visually uh, experiencing everything, which of course I do every year, but uh, but just listening to this stuff is great, uh, especially since Jingle Bells is tired and bad. There are a lot of great How songs dare out there. You? A lot of Christmas songs are great and are sung in a lot of movies. This movie has all original music. And for me, it's original music that I can just sing at the drop of a hat. So, like, to be able to listen to this stuff while you're putting the the tree up, like, I can smell cinnamon in the air, and I I can just, like, feel Christmas with this movie. Uh, I would like to challenge your Jingle Bells viewpoint by introducing you to a little act. I don't know if you've ever heard of this music artist, Alvin and the Chipmunks. They do a a great job of it, so. No, no. I'm sure you do a great job. You can do a great job at a bad thing, and the thing is still bad. And which which is un, unfortunate because I think everybody, Michael Bublé's tried to do it. Neil Diamond in his famous Christmas album that he had to ask his Jewish grandmother for permission in order to record. He tried to do it. He couldn't do it. Jingle Bells is a bad song and it's unfortunate that things like Sleigh Ride and Silver Bells are great songs. Jingle Bells is just bad. Uh, you can take that to the bank, uh, lords and ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Coming in hot, 13 minutes into this recording. Yeah, I was with you until Sleigh Ride. That is also a garbage song that I had to play in band every year. It's really good for clarinet, though, so that's why I love it. Okay, all right. So this was both of your Christmas movies. Like, this is the go-to? Uh, We have more than one go-to, but this is by far the longest-lasting, most consistent. And yeah, I would say this, is, this would be the go-to for the family Christmas movie. I mean, now Christmas Vacation is definitely watched frequently, quite a bit in Home Alone. Is put in heavy rotation as well, as well as there's things like The Christmas Story, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. These are maybe not every year for us, but they're, it's only a matter of time before they come back on and we watch those again, too. So um, we like Christmas movies. Uh, it's a time of year where it's cold, it gets dark early, and um, everybody's together. And my family all loves movies, so uh, these are things that we enjoy doing with each other. So, But I would definitely say, yeah, The Muppet Christmas Carol probably is the, that huh. trademark one at the guest okay. house. What's the title of the uh, Rudolph movie? Is it just called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yes. Yeah. So like that's that's probably number one. Like that one must be watched. Number last is certainly uh, what the the year without a Santa Claus or the one with the heat miser and the snow miser. Like that's that's number last. That's that's last on the list. Um, but yeah, uh, last. I didn't story, I didn't think to ask to that question. Christmas with um, the Cranks maybe or Deck the Halls. Deck the Halls was pretty bad. All the Hallmark. I don't even count that stuff. That my God, wife dude. keeps making me watch. I can't. So I, bad, dude. I'm not counting that. I'm not counting that. That's that's those are like low lower budget. They're not playing the same game. So Gremlins is the clear number one. Gremlins is I mean, great. It's just it's not disputed. It's so good. Uh, anyway, we will be spoiling them up at Christmas Carol, which is also the Christmas Carol. So if you haven't. Uh, if you're not familiar with the classic story of the Christmas Carol, which you probably should be, but if you're not, yeah, read a book. There, yeah, I was gonna say there will be spoilers that lie ahead, so uh, we will be back after these messages. Welcome to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And every week we review a movie from the past and reflect on things we miss, things we loved, and things we want to see again. Yeah, because we believe any movie worth watching is worth watching again. So if you like films, friendship, and a lot of callbacks, I mean, just so many callbacks, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever RSS feeds go for like-minded movie-loving individuals. 
like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks podcast on all the major platforms. All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, Chad, for those who haven't seen The Muppet Christmas Carol since 1992, do you want to refresh people's memory? The classic Dickens Christmas Carol told with a sweet Muppet veneer. Ebenezer Scrooge is a cold-hearted man who treats the poor and needy with absolute contempt. On the night before Christmas, Scrooge is visited by two specters in chains who turn out to be his old associates, the Marley Brothers. They inform Scrooge that he's pretty much screwed in the afterlife and that he'll be visited by three ghosts throughout the evening. The first spirit takes Scrooge back to his childhood, where he's caught up in his financial studies. Then we visit his youth and see him tragically lose the love of his life due to his lust for more money. The second spirit takes Scrooge to see his faithful employee Bob Cratchit sitting down to dinner in the present day. Bob's wife makes snide remarks, but Bob remains pleasant concerning Scrooge. The Cratchits have a young boy named Tiny Tim who is ill and on crutches, but has a heart of gold. We're also taken to Scrooge's nephew's house, where Scrooge observes his nephew playing a guessing game, mocking Scrooge as unwanted and mean. The final spirit appears to be the specter of death and takes Scrooge to the future. There we hear a celebration over a death, which of course ends up being Scrooge's own funeral. Tiny Tim also passes away. Scrooge wakes up from his slumber and vows to change, asking Bean the Rabbit to buy the biggest turkey that there would be a feast at the Cratchit house. He gives money to charity and renews his long-lost Christmas spirit. All right, I'm feeling all warm and fuzzy now after that. So, uh, (laughs) Dustin, let's talk about the plot of this movie. What do you think about it? The plot of this movie is the plot of A Christmas Carol. And I don't know just like how one-to-one it is, but from what I've read, there's very little that's different. I think the number one thing that's different is that instead of one Marley as his business partner, it's two Marleys, just to accommodate having Statler and Waldorf play Jacob Marley and the for this movie only Robert Marley who are incredible Uh, this plot is uh, a classic story and I think with with a lot of Christmas movies you have turmoil that Christmas saves the day the the spirit the literal spirits of Christmas or the spirit of Christmas turns the life around of Ebenezer Scrooge um it r- reminds me that I meant to say that Scrooge is also on my family's list of, of uh, Christmas movies to watch with Bill Murray, an excellent Christmas movie. Um, but like this is it's awesome to see it done uh, as like accurately as it could be, even so much as to um, down to some of the dialogue from the people that are uh, in air quotes like, you know, faux mourning his death, uh, even the. Uh, the fence who's buying the stolen goods from uh, Scrooge's uh, bedchambers in in like the third uh, ghost of uh, Christmas yet to come. Like all of this stuff is extremely accurate um, and it's a cool story. I mean, I, I would go further into like 
Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol, and like what that meant for like when it came out. But it, like as far as the plot goes, the spirit of Christmas saves the day, and everyone is happier for it, and it makes you feel great. Chad, this has been done, as Dayostin alluded to, a lot of times. It's been done many, many times in film and TV. Did we need another version with the Muppets? I am for remaking whatever you want with the Muppets. I know we've had the conversation in our messenger thread of, hey, here's a horror movie that I'd like remade with the Muppets. I don't like The Shining famously, but I think The Shining would be vastly improved with Muppets. <laughs> so, so yeah, I Treasure Island, you know, we have that with the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, just keep doing it. Keep inserting them into whatever you want. Robinson Crusoe, we can bring that up. Oliver Twist, just. 1984. Give me more Muppets. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why not? Lord Animal of the Flies. <laughs> yeah. we, could, we could have Animal You know Farm. what would be I great? The Great Gatsby. That would. Mm. Oh yeah. But but you're 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 spot on. Is that yeah? I, this was almost like a little trend of like three years where they did Christmas Carol and then uh, Treasure Island, and had it kept going, hopefully they would have done better than 47th in the box office each time because there it's a. It feels good for everyone, which I think Chad would agree with me. That's what the Muppets do. They just make you feel good. It doesn't have to be the funniest. It's often not the funniest. Sometimes the jokes aren't as good as you'd expect, especially with writing nowadays. Uh, but it's it just makes you feel good. And what else is Christmas about? Yeah, it's, it's a strange place for me to reside because Russell has famously banned me from Christmas movies. He went through those lists. And I'm not allowed on them because all this fuzziness and warmth that Dustin is just exuding and gushing over, it makes me just want to, ah. <laughs> so, so I, I hate Christmas music. I largely hate Christmas mu movies, but there's something about the Muppet touch that just makes my tiny little heart grow three sizes. Ah, that's a good way of putting it. And I think Dustin touched on it. Muppet movies previous to this, I think it's interesting. They usually have tons and tons of cameos. And it's I'd say that there's an adventure component that's designed to bring those cameos of like everybody wants in a Muppet movie because it's just so fun to pop in. They, they do well with celebrities and everybody's kind of winking at the camera and everybody's kind of, you know, right. they're having a good time. And that's very much in the spirit of the traditional Muppet show from the 70s, if you've seen it, which is, by the way, is a delight if you have. And I really recommend it. It's, it. You might not remember all the celebrities from back then, but the puppetry and the humor and the feel good vibes that Dustin's referring to, all of that holds up. And so this is a bit of a fork in the road and um, perhaps a literal fork in the road. If you've seen the Muppet movie, this is a fork in the road because Jim Henson, the creator of the Muppets, the heart and soul of this company that made all these he dies in 1990 unexpectedly and younger than his time which is really sad and so this is kind of a big moment for the family and i say family in terms of yes all of the henson family he had five children they're all involved in this but also the crew that all does all the voice work the the sets the creature design studio that he had set up that is involved with so many movies throughout the 80s and 90s and the practical effects, the team that make the Muppets happen, which are actually really, really impressive. This is the movie that got everybody back together and said, we're going to keep going without Jim. He would want this. And obviously Sesame Street continued well past Jim's life, too, which he would be very happy to see. 
And so his son, Brian Henson, is taking it over. And with that, there's a bit of a formula change, as Dustin alluded to. We have one actor, and he's playing it straight. He's not He's not having a goofy, fun, free-for-all time. Michael Caine is really doing this with great seriousness. And everybody around him is filled in with Muppets. And they're also telling a classic tale. And I like this formula. They did that with Muppet Treasure Island, and they go away from it, come Muppets, Muppets in Space, and then when they revive it again with the... Uh, you know, the Muppets in 2011, but I honestly really do like the Muppets telling an established classic story like that. Like Chad said, this to me is a formula that was too short-lived. I wish it had grossed more money because I like this format a lot and I wish we could have gotten more movies like it. You know, when you say that uh, Michael Caine was playing it straight and he, he totally was, that's that's the driving like we know that ebenezer scrooge doesn't like christmas uh chad i think like bah humbug is probably in your vocabulary when it comes to christmas music frequently even double bah humbug (laughs) (laughs) yeah we uh like immediately when you jump into one of these movies right we're getting we're getting a very cool like pan in shot of london and before the story even starts getting told i believe you see like a cart of Muppet vegetables being taken to market. You know, the vegetables yep. will sing. They'll, they'll be part of the chorus sometimes. And I believe the first, like, Muppet joke of the movie is like, help, I'm being stolen. I'm being stolen. <laughs> it's like one of these vegetables being, like, pilfered from. And then, you know, you get into this little world, and several of the Muppets are playing also straight roles. Kermit's Bob Cratchit is Bob Cratchit with Kermit's unique, one-of-a-kind, just charm. He's normally the straight man of the Muppets, but and but he's he's just kind and he's gentle and he's got his uh, his cadre of rats, the other clerks and bookkeepers that work for Scrooge in his uh, money lending business. Or and this, it seems like he's essentially doing mortgages, uh, banking in this movie. But like this is like he plays it straight. All of the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come are playing it straight present the ghost of christmas present might be one of the like standout just characters in my childhood that like that that guy the giant sort of full body muppet is just an incredible on-screen presence and then it's it's this is the first i don't think i don't think treasure island did this uh you have the great gonzo as charles dickens and he's telling the story to you and i have to say if I weren't already going to give it the highest rating that I could, and let's be real, guys, I think you know what's coming, that having the great Gonzo play the narrator in this as if it's a story being told, and then he's got his little comic relief of Rizzo the Rat, and in the middle of the, the serious storytelling, they also, you know, you, you can't forget that Gonzo is a freak. Specifically, he is a weirdo. <laughs> and like, and he does weirdo things in the middle of it. So getting through the plot is easy, and the characters who are like, are meant to, you know, Tiny Tim isn't like a silly version of Tiny Tim. Kermit, Bob Cratchit's family, which is uh, his mom is uh, Miss Piggy, is pretty hilarious. And Miss Miss Piggy is Miss Piggy here. Uh, <laughs> And uh, but but like her name is Emily, you know, in the movie, and and there, you've got the, the children. Like everybody plays their role exactly as they need to, and then when they need to do something funny, they'll toss in Sam the Eagle as the headmaster 
to be <laughs> funny for 20 seconds. That's all he needs to be. And but but like as far as you know, just the original thing you asked me was like the, the plot of this. It's to a T exactly what it needs to be. And then you just get you're surrounded with the charm of what what kind of humor these guys bring to the screen. I would say, despite the Muppetry in it, which I love and is part of the, the part that elevates this for me, I think it's actually one of the best versions. I've seen, I love the Christmas Carol story, and I like when they play it straight, and I like all the different versions out there. I like it when they do something creative and different with it, like Scrooge. But I think this is my favorite, and I think you're right, Dustin. I think anybody who's selling it short, this is a good telling of it, even void of the Muppets. And then you right. add the Muppet warmth and enjoyment to it something magical happened here and so uh i think the fact that god is literally reading a lot of lines straight out of the writings of dickens gives it a sense of authenticity that's awesome i mean it does transport you back to the mid-victorian era and dickens's writings you know and acknowledge and influence modern western observance of christmas and later inspired several aspects of christmas that we hold in the cultural association of Christmas. So this kind of goes back into the beginnings of this, including family gatherings, having seasonal food and drink, dancing, games, generosity of giving and spirit. This, there's a, this is a really big piece of literature that had a cultural ripple impact generations down the line. And it's so interesting that it is actually a good telling of the story I think it's interesting when you read the reviews, some of them will say, like, this is a liberal uh, adaptation, and or that uh, they, some of the reviews were kind of skeptical in saying that they took too many liberties, but actually, if you get into it, it really isn't. Like, like okay, there's two Marley brothers. Okay, they added some fun puppets around. You know, Bob Cratchit worked by himself. He didn't have a room full of coworkers. Right. They added some rats there for, for comedic influence. I mean... Scrooge's late sister doesn't appear in this movie. Uh, you know, he has a headmaster of Sam the Eagle for these parts here. But these are small changes in the great scheme of things. And honestly, when you consider that the direct diction of Dickens is being used, other versions aren't doing that. So using that narrated thing that Dustin was saying, I just want to get into it and say that this is actually a very good telling of the story beyond the Muppets, which is just amazing to me. Like, it's a well done movie. Yeah, it's reading all of michael kane's opinions like it just filled me with so much warmth for this movie he just treasures his time with the muppets he said it's his favorite character and or at least his most memorable character and just his absolute desire to be a part of this storytelling so yeah it it helps having your primary actor wanting passionately to be a part of this and you're right, the story is well done. It, I don't think they deviate wildly from Dickens' formula. Don't need to. But yeah, we get the little Muppet touches. I, you get the comedy relief of Sam Eagle saying, oh yeah, made in the USA. We're in London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going mean... to be great at business. <laughs> <laughs> it is um... the American way. That's a whisper, whisper, whisper. It is the British way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so this is one of the things that Disney does with their retelling of stories. You know, I mean, you tell Beauty and the Beast. We covered that earlier this year. I mean, they added charming little characters like Cogsworth and, you know, Lumiere to that. And that's what Disney does. They add things to an already amazing story. 
And it's no secret that that's a good six, good formula. And honestly, I would love to see the Muppets get back to it because it works here. It works for Disney in the animated world. So it was the golden age of Disney. And I honestly can see how while they're making Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, I can honestly see how this would have come out at that point in time. This seems like it is a product. And honestly, this is this is new for Disney taking over the role of the Muppets. Jim sold the Muppets to Disney before they were buying everything because he just wanted to focus on the creative parts of what was going on and he was ready to change his life and unfortunately he died right as that happened so it's unfortunate that that did happen but this this is a Disney formula and this is now a Disney property here and it's just interesting how that all reflects. I have to bring up just just because of the way that you just sort of framed this in, in Disney ownership and just the last let's say you know 30 years is that like this this particular formula of the classic story being told with the Muppets did work for the two movies. And then you brought up Muppets in Space. The first Muppet movie, and I believe the only The Muppets movie that uh, does not is not a musical. The the Muppets in Space is not a musical, which is why it is at the bottom of the list for me for the Muppet movies. Then you get back to the Muppets and then the Muppets Most Wanted, which are musical features with all the cameo stars, back to sort of the classic thing. I think the classic story with the Muppets is that they're in show business. Everybody knows this. They're aware of them. The 2011 Muppets and 2014 uh, Muppets Most Wanted gets meta, and we like meta on this show. We love Scream. Uh, like we we like the the meta take on things, but uh, and then you get further. I think what was it, 2018 when you get uh, um, I know it's it's not technically Muppet Studios, but it's it's uh the Happy Time Murders is it, it does use um you know the the same same background I guess. But uh, we were talking about like Jim Jim Henson's like legacy there, the 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 legacy with this Christmas movie. Michael Caine being so excited to be a part of this particular feature, like this is a this is a movie that will last forever because the story has already existed for 170 years, and it's a great story. We know it. We don't have too many new Christmas stories. National Lampoon Christmas Vacation is a new story. What, what was what was another new story? that uh, Elf. I actually didn't like Elf the first couple of watches. And then I got, you know, this is a great Christmas story too. And, and it's, it's close to other things, which is that like the spirit of Christmas can transform. And that's what we have in this movie, is that Christmas transforms you, whether you need help or whether somebody else requires the help. Of, and, and in this case, it's not Santa Claus, and it's not Jesus. It is, it is this universal balance. The deeds you do in life create the links in your chain, Ebenezer, and you are forging it yourself, and it will drag you down, and you will be suffocated and exhausted like we are. I got to tell you, seeing Statler and Waldorf, the normal funny curmudgeons up in the balcony, for a moment, they're fun and funny. Then the chains get wrapped on them. Then, and I think this is a moment when you're young that there's like a kind of, it kind of gets scary here. It does. They're being pulled back into hell by the chains they forged of their avarice and greed. You wear this chain yourself. You still have time, Ebenezer. This is a cool story. It's not just a good Christmas story. It's very cool. Uh, that's another question I wanted to ask. Some people have criticized this movie as going too dark for kids, which I feel like 
everybody puts pads on. More and more padding happens to children's programming. Uh, Jim Henson, who wasn't necessarily involved with this program, I think said it well. Children like to be scared. They just want to know it's going to be okay and have it turn out well in the end. But they do like to be scared. And so when he would make things, whether it be the labyrinth or Dark Crystal or be involved with, you know, things, he or, you know, I mean, even Frank Oz is, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a Henson guy, like being Yoda and stuff like that. There's a darkness that is in the children's programming and stuff in the 80s that is challenging. And you see that here. And I don't think he would get this made today. And honestly, my two-year-old son, I was a little bit worried for him, like when the Christmas future, which looks like the Grim Reaper rolls around or when the Marley brothers come mm. in, he actually did fine. I mean, he knows Stadler and Waldorf uh, from Muppet Babies programming, and they handled a very dark subject by lightening it up enough that it became approachable enough that it didn't just send him like, you know, he covers his hands on his eyes if he does truly get scared. He didn't do that. He, he thought they were funny because they were laughing and heckling him like, it's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't know, Chad. Your your daughter is a little more uh, taking things in uh, uh, with more mature eyes. She's five. How, did she watch this one with you? She watched the Muppets Haunted Mansion with me, and she thought that was very very frightening. So I think this is more frightening than the Muppets Haunted Mansion, which I definitely I enjoyed. Check it out. It's on Disney Plus. It's fun. <laughs> It's a fun... Uh, so she wasn't ready to go back. She wasn't ready to come back just yet then. No, she watched Muppet Babies a little bit, but honestly, I think the Haunted Mansion has taken her off the Muppet path altogether, and we're going to try and work our way back there. But yeah, I when I was watching this movie, they even reference it. Uh, I think Rizzo's the one that says it. He's like, do you think this is too dark for children? Right. No, it's culture. And, yeah yeah it it is pretty darn dark it's it's definitely the darkest muppets movie i can think i mean the dickens content is not touched so it is still a story of regret it's a redemption story primarily but it is still a story of you know death regret yeah the mark that you leave on uh the world that you inhabit regardless of your personal wealth i mean you can't take it with you in this case the only thing you take with you is is the these sort of bonds the the cool thing speaking of how closely it is like to the story not only are there chains but there are lock boxes and like cash boxes that are weighing down the marley brothers in this movie and jacob marley in the story um it's not just like it's manifested specifically because they were money misers because they needed more wealth and um but what were those boxes doing dustin they were singing. <laughs> they specifically they were wailing. They were, so we named him Robert Marley for good reason. That's Bob awesome. Marley and the wailers. Ugh, this movie keeps giving. It's a Christmas miracle. That is in. Oh, man, Chad, I wish I could give you a big Christmas hug for that. <laughs> this is a dark movie. It's an adult reality that they don't even try and challenge that format. It's still a story about death, regret aging greed jealousy and just finite mortality and somehow the muppets still can handle all of that and still you know keep it light enough throughout the process that don't send the kids out of the room and it didn't scare me too much either in you know when i was you know when i saw this i guess i would have been seven when it came out so 
I was a little bit chilled by the Marleys and by Christmas Future, but they don't live there for too long, and things do get better. So it also wasn't my first time through Christmas Carol. I had seen other darker, more dramatic performances of it, so it also helps you to know where the path is going. But I myself wasn't too scared of it. So just I find it interesting that, that I'm always finding it interesting when parents get too worried whether their kids are not, yeah. or is it too dark for kids. And, you know, if it scares your kids, then... Maybe you just wait a little bit longer. Every kid's different, but I feel like more and more and more today, everybody's very, very protective with children's programming, and I feel like they're not very challenging as a result of that. And I think that's, I think that's sad. They realize they crossed the line though in this movie. They cut a song, and it's a Martina McBride song. Martina McBride is an incredible singer, but it's Belle's song where she's singing when love is gone and man that is depressing i actually checked out the music i'll come back to that one yeah uh, i'll come back to that one yeah and and also the the muppets can't can't hang for the whole movie once we get to the ghost of christmas yet to come gonzo and rizzo peace out they tell the audience this is a little too creepy for me yeah uh we'll see you at the finale and they disappear into the mausoleum they're like we'll just let you handle this scary part which is scary and sad, uh, and I think the, the, the part that is sad, uh, speaking of accuracy, there are specifically people that the only reason they would go to Scrooge's funeral is if they have lunch provided. In that same scene, or similar, very you know, adjacent scene, Old Joe is the name of the fence. The seamstress, or the, you know, the, the chamber maiden, and the undertaker are all the people that do steal the items from Scrooge. So that is accurate. And then, you know, you have uh, Tiny Tim, who, like, th- this is something that, it, without revisiting the original story, uh, having Kermit's nephew Robin play Tiny Tim in this movie does pull up the heartstrings a little bit, too. Like, everyone loves Robin, a little cute little frog. And you know that if he's playing Tiny Tim, you know what's going to happen to him. Or at least you know like what the story would foretell, what Christmas yet to come will bring. I see a crutch in the corner and an empty chair. Like this is, it's not just dark, it's sad. And it's supposed to be. And Christmas will, I, I, I'm with you guys here, which is like, a, a movie like this can show you how bleak things can be. I mean, in It's a Wonderful Life, dude's about to jump off a bridge. I mean, like we, we have Christmas movies that touch on dark situations and then, uh, whether it's an angel, or Jesus, or Santa Claus, or Jack Skellington saving the day, like, that's what this movie's about. So, take me to the deep end. But, like you said, Russell, bring me back safe. Brian Henson said you need to go to those dark places, even with kids, because the ending can't be fully as joyous as it is if you don't. Mm. Uh, the Cars franchise is doing really well, and it is the least offensive, scary movie ever. There, there's some dramatic drop-offs after the first movie, though. I don't. I, I would question the integrity of that series. But yes. Uh, yes, toys. They they make billions of dollars of toys. Pixar is just like, yeah, we don't care. We made a great one. Now toys. Yeah. This is the first movie where Kermit is not the lead role. Michael Caine is. So that's a, that's a change of formula as well. And as I mentioned, Jim Henson's death, he's also Kermit's voice all, all the way up to now. And so Steve Whitmare, who was involved with the production, so he's not like an outsider or anything like that, is kind of promoted into the role of Kermit. And he was really nervous to take over the role. And uh, he, he was having doubts even going into the production. And he had a dream where Jim Henson 
uh, spoke to him and reassured him that uh, these feelings would pass and you you know you're the best person to do it and good job good luck and that was that dream was what gave him the confidence to go on and do the part and he's still Kermit to this day so personally I don't detect a huge difference in the performance of the voice of uh, so credit to Steve Whitmer it felt like Kermit still it's it's also like for this movie in particular you know he he doesn't get excited he his character is calm collected and he's he's got to take care of his family he does sing some great songs and he does ice skate with the penguin so it's not like it's all sad for him like he has some fun right but um uh, most of it is kind of kept uh, like on a low tone so, and and you hear some of Kermit's signature just sort of contemplative noises or oh oh Emily like like it's it it's something to where if if he had to go um and yell at the rest of the Muppets cast for not hitting their marks like their normal Hollywood formula then I think maybe we would have heard some more differences but I think Steve Whitmire did a great job. Now David Hemmings, Ron Mooney, Peter O'Toole, and David Warner and a number of other British actors as well as American comedian George Carlin were all considered to play the role of Ebenezer Scrooge and. Henson later decides upon and offers the role to Michael Caine. Michael Caine is actively pursuing the role. He he wants to be Ebenezer Scrooge. He heard it was going into production, and he had missed out on guest stars on the TV series of The Muppet Show in the 70s, and uh, you know which was shot in the UK, but he was living in the US at the time trying to avoid tax. I don't know if it's tax evasion, but definitely staying away from be, being at his home country for tax reasons. But his friends and colleagues like Peter Sellers, Sylvester Stallone, Roger Moore, John Cleese, and a number of friends of Michael Caine's raved about going on The Muppet Show, being around that environment, and coming back and talking about how invigorating it is and how rewarding it is to have kids come up to them that to this day saying, like, I remember you on The Muppet Show. And it really broadened the fan base and the appreciation for the actor from just doing something so simple. And uh, Caine wanted that. I, and I love that. I love that he wanted that. That, that joy in his own experience as an actor. I mean, he's a very accomplished, excellent actor, but I love that he campaigned and wanted to do this, and it shows. Uh, you know, he really he really brought his A game with this, and he was, as Chad mentioned earlier, it is one of the most memorable roles he said that he played. He played the role as if there were no puppets around me, and Brian Henson loved that about him, and it's just a really great performance from Michael Caine. Dustin, what do you think about Michael Caine here? Well, and that's while he's also moving around. All of these sets are built for puppeteer work. So he's also having to watch his step and make sure he doesn't fall down into a pit. His his, his role can't be done any other way. Once it's been – like the, the die has been cast, uh, it's there. Uh, that's who – that he is Ebenezer Scrooge to me. Bill Murray's character in Scrooge is fun, but Ebenezer Scrooge is Michael Caine now. And Michael Caine is Ebenezer Scrooge. It's just a it, – it works really well. He – can play the miser role and the icy stare and even the the wit that he has i believe when he's telling his clerks to prepare the eviction notices for tomorrow uh, one of the, one of the bookkeepers says oh it's christmas tomorrow he goes well fine you can gift wrap them like like it's like all of the everything's delivered so well when he's alone in his house or when he's dealing with the spirits he's acting with um, a puppet and, and any time that you see an actor who has to act with either just him, her, themselves, and or, or just like the wall or just alone, 
you know, especially with the ghost of Christmas past, he's he's acting with um, likely something. You know, we're to 1992. C, this isn't CGI. These special effects or whatever it is to get that floating doll style puppet. Like he has to act by himself a lot. So um, absolute hats off to him to be able to do that. And then he absolutely nails the turn afterwards. You know, after he's visited by the by I guess in this story five total spirits, he is he's ready to go and he turns a new leaf um I, it's almost symbolized by the the representative for the orphanage uh dr bunsen honeydew and beaker beaker <laughs> gives <laughs> that's right beaker gives scrooge his scarf and scrooge in the all black with the red scarf is kind of like the iconic look for me in like forever uh and and he's smiling and he's happy and he's singing his singing voice—it is him singing. Like his—it's yeah. Hey, is—is is he's it not a, a great run? singer, but I like. Is that it he's a home give... run? No, no, but but he's happy and he can see it. There's a joy that comes to whether you have starred, been a guest star on the Muppet Show, been in a Muppet movie, or even if you just did two minutes singing about the letter K on Sesame Street. It's a part of your career that you can just say, "Yeah, I'm I am Muppet adjacent." Yeah, I like that he wasn't able to sing very well. I think that added it to it for me. Like he's the bad guy in this movie, so you don't want the bad guy. I I don't know. I, I think it would have ruined it for me if he just had this incredible baritone or whatever voice. <laughs> he he just has, well, kind of a normal person's voice. Right. I normally say if you're gonna sing, you better put somebody in there who can actually sing. I get, a, I tend to get a little bit frustrated when you pick a big name and they can't sing. But I think perhaps maybe this just hit me at a young enough age, or I think the transformation that he does from total grump to being somebody who is does have warmth, and the transition that he does by going through fear, regret, he shows a full range of emotions, and actually he's tested pretty hard as an actor, and I, I don't know that uh, I would trust that to somebody else, and. I do kind of, I, I kind of with you. I mean, I listened to the soundtrack on this one. My, my parents had, you know, the soundtrack, which actually you get a couple extra songs on, and I highly recommend. So if you want to, like, hear Sam the Eagle, like, giving him a building him up song, or if you want to have, like, uh, a Bunsen and Beaker singing song as they're collecting money, these songs didn't make it into the movie, but they make my day, and um, I will listen to Michael Caine sing even free of this movie, and it will just give me... The happy feelings. His best, his best performance. I mean, there's only a few. His best singing performance is in the song that's cut, when he's singing behind Meredith Braun. Or I guess is, I don't know if in the movie, who was it that you said it was, Chad? Martina McBride. Martina McBride. Is she is she singing it in the movie or is it Meredith Braun in the movie? Do you know? I think it's Meredith Braun in the movie. In the movie, so like. That's uh like he sings behind her and it's it it actually is great because you have a strong vocal performance. It from her. says portrayed and voiced by Meredith Braun. I don't want to take away your Martina McBride fact, but I don't. Well, maybe there's uh, there's oftentimes that the soundtrack will have different people on it, like as guest singers or whatever. So I'm I'm thinking that 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 you know it, it I don't think it was wrong that 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 was done. Well, anyway, um, it's. He, he he does everything that he's asked to do, and um, it to me forever it couldn't be done any any way else. I like too how uh, you know Paul Williams, who was the writer for the music here, uh, he said that Kane came in with a great attitude, just like 
I'm not a good singer. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm ready to do it. Like, I'm excited. What do we do? <laughs> so yeah. it, it is like it is like that. So it sounds like that. <laughs> and sometime it be like that. Yeah. And Kane, Kane said, you know, working with the puppets was an extraordinary experience. Um, it's He did have to do a lot of green screen acting, which is challenging. But he said acting with the puppets was actually highly rewarding. In particular, he said human actors can often be difficult. They'll clash. They'll push up against you and have egos. But he said the puppets and the puppeteers were really lovely, gentle people. It was surprisingly like acting with really, really cooperative, helpful actors. So he felt like the the characters, as they're rendered in puppet form, have enough detail in them. And the, and the people who are operating the puppeteers are so talented, he felt like there was a sense of life to them. And he said it was an, that was in itself an experience unlike any other as an actor. So again, to Chad's point, I love hearing Michael Caine talk about how much he likes doing this role. Like, you know, we did, um, we did fly to the navigator and Sarah Jessica Parker totally ran down her whole experience on doing it. And just really makes you not like that actor when they don't like their work, especially when you like that movie. And on the flip side of that, you have somebody like Michael Caine here. who's just like, gushing about how fun this was yes he was paid millions of dollars to do this and you know but he truly enjoyed it and had a great experience and that shows i thoroughly enjoy watching robert pattinson run down twilight (laughs) he's got a cool attitude about a lot of stuff actually (laughs) um yeah yeah i dig that too so this was actually going to be made for tv initially and jerry jewell who was one of the co-writers on this one was hired to do the script And it got transformed and elevated to movie status. I'm so glad that happened and not wasn't just a TV special. Yeah, I mean, even if it was just a TV special, we have TV specials that end up being important to the zeitgeist of the time or just lasting. They're going to be shorter when they're that, though. They're going to be shorter. Uh, And and even I mean, this is only an hour 16 uh, and it's an hour 19 with the song still in with the with the love of. Not the love we found. It's the God. What's, what do you, you said it a minute ago? The love we lost. When love is when love is gone. gone. Thank you. Uh, it's it's only a, you know. I'm still holding uh, off on getting into that one for me, but yeah. Yeah, it's a but like it's 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 just no matter how this this particular retelling of it comes out, it's great. Uh, li- little things, uh, regardless of the the story, even just um, you know I, I speaking of Jim Henson's passing, uh, I I believe I've watched interviews i've watched several things about it the the number the number one thing i i think i've rewatched is uh there were two funerals uh there was a european funeral and a and an american funeral did you know about this russell yeah yeah i mean he has a lot of the pup it's very touching but i won't steer thunder well essentially all i was going to say is uh carol spinney comes out as big bird and sings um and sings not easy being green and then when you when you think about like the cultural impact of of this cast uh I, like later on we're gonna have to do our superlatives we're gonna have to recast someone well there's only michael kane in the movie and a couple other bit players so who do you recast you can't recast him uh but but we i i do have an, an answer for us it's just that like it's it's if only and i'll just touch back what you said just 30 minutes if only this formula stuck because the next one we get is tim curry and treasure island and he's it's awesome incredible too. it's incredible and so if, if only it could have kept going, uh, this, this movie, like the, the songs, you, you mentioned Paul Williams, uh, 
this the, all of the music in this is great uh, you start the movie with a with a I'm not gonna say a classic overture but you do get one um, and it's it's all light and bouncing um, the only times that it's not it's really well done there's a very deep whether it's uh, cellos or basses for the ghost of Christmas yet to come uh, all of his movements are accompanied with with stuff uh, the closest musical like not Q, but the closest musical influence I can think of is uh, there was a, it, it's actually a Danny Elfman score, but it's to the, the, the video game Fable from like 2001 or something like that, from, from a while ago. But Oakvale, uh, th- there's some very ambient string music, and uh, especially in some of the darker, the darker scenes, uh, like the music in this is so well done that I would. I, this is actually one of those I don't have the soundtrack to, but I think I've got a little. I got to head to work in about an hour, so I think I know what I'll be listening to on the way. Yeah, and uh, don't make Animal play the triangle because he can't. He can't. He can't take it. I was so sad for him. I love uh, Animal's thing about having to. I mean, we see him on a leash sometimes, right? Yes. Uh, Floyd Pepper will hold his leash sometimes. He's not on a leash in this movie, but having to play the triangle at and let's hey let's give kudos to the uh, how close Fozzywig is to Fezziwig. Yes. Like at the Fozzywig Christmas party. I love um, that scene. It's a great scene. Um, you get to see you know sort of uh, teenage uh, Ebenezer and you know meeting Belle for the first time. You get to see the two Marley brothers alive. Like that the, speech the, was short. It was stupid. I'm sorry, it was stupid. It was dumb. It was short. I loved it. <laughs> uh, like that. That's the, all. All of these little snippets. Swedish Chef was there too. I do have yes. an issue. Uh, yeah, Swedish Chef, of course. Uh, if I haven't said it before, the one of the few Muppets, if the only Muppet who actually has human hands. Um, work, work. <laughs> every other every other hand has uh has less than five digits or it's covered in uh felt but his hands are human hands uh and then uh but at that it's at that party that we have something strange and i've said like if i'm not revealing how much i'm into the muppets now i don't know how much further i can go but uh rolf is playing with the electric mayhem now they're not billed as the electric mm-hmm. mayhem in this movie but dr teeth is noticeably absent and i know he's there isn't he well that's the he's it's the the cast list says he's there i don't know where he's at because you know, he's when, he's he's there with the band and so is um rolf yeah. is playing piano for the band he does it's not get weird. any speaking line. he doesn't get any speaking lines but he's present if they're both playing piano cool rolf is typically known as the classical pianist whereas dr teeth is kind of like the rhythm section pianist i get it but like in that scene like that's just one of those things to where like it it that it I'm not gonna say it distracts me but I'm just like what are you doing there you should they should be you should two should be swapped but yeah just another small little scene right in the middle of the movie that's just just perfectly perfectly well done put in there you get the little meet cute with Belle it's nice yeah and Jerry Jewell the writer who I mentioned earlier uh, was initially considering having the Ghost of Christmas present past and future as being scooter miss piggy and gonzo and you know respectively and it that later idea that idea was scrapped and then they 
go to having these actual spirits there, which, again, they made all the right decisions here. So uh, having Gonzo mm. go back to being Charles Dickens Ooh. was a great decision. I want to hear what Chad well, has it, to say about that. It, it was the great Gonzo for the Ghost of Christmas Yet to Come. I, I kind of think Piggy would be a great side commentary and with snide remarks observing scrooge and presence it's like mm, they don't like you very much do they like she would be fun and scooter he's just absent this well this bothered me there's a reason for that unfortunately so no there there's no good reason well the, scooter in here the the guy who plays scooter or the guy who does his voice richard hunt had AIDS and he was dying and he died. Actually, sorry, he died even before this movie came out, but while it was being made, he had not died yet. So like, whereas Jim died and they passed over Kermit to Steve Whitmere, Richard Hunt was not well. And so Scooter, Sweetums and a few other of his, his creations are not present in this movie because he's sick. So there's a reason for it, even though it's sad. They never really had it. Like I think Scooter has been has been voiced by the most people of every single Muppet ever. Like he he they couldn't find a, a proper guy to to do him afterwards. Scooter's also like <clears throat> his his role as like the the gopher, like kind of the backstage manager guy. Um, I don't see him mystical at all. I don't see him doing the Ghost of Christmas Past. Unless it's essentially just bookkeeping, in which case I guess maybe that makes sense. But uh, I think the best of those three, and I'm glad they did what they did. The best of those three would be Piggy as Christmas uh, present. Present, but the Ghost of Christmas Present is so good the way they did it. And I don't think a, a song, Piggy-led songs can be good, but I don't think uh, wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas can be done with Piggy's normal style she's got a style and it's and it's glam and it's bright um and i don't uh, but i i really really like the uh and honestly the way that they age christmas present in the the like the time span of a day i mean he's got what 10 minutes of screen time i love uh, that he has but, short memory to short-term memory loss too because he's perfect. so part of the present that's such a creative idea did i already tell you that you it's, did it's great you did. it's great <laughs> um, and and also he's so gregarious that he actually brings up a little bit of Scrooge has wit and humor, right? Um, you know, I have over 1,800 brothers and sisters. Imagine the grocery bill. <laughs> you know, like like yeah. he 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 brings out the the great. You've got you've got an incredible uh, dance scene in the middle of the square with him. He he does I think. He changes scale, which is really magical too. He, that is magical and and cool. He gets down into the little mouse hole and kind of parties with them for a little bit. Uh, I am glad to say that the eventually the Mises get cheeses in the end of the movie. Uh, that they, they are they are remembered and and everyone has a, a nice little happy ending there. But uh, yeah, Christmas present blows it out of the water. Of the three ghosts, Christmas yet to come. That. Of I know what Muppet Creature Workshop can do, and that particular Reaper style Muppet, I I I would love to see that done differently somehow. I don't know how it could Ooh. be done. I thought that was so chill. The obvious answer to me is using Dudley. Uh, yeah, yeah. He wasn't around at this point in time, but you know that that's who I imagine that kind of dark humor. Dudley, uh, Uncle Deadly could work. Uh, like there there are a couple. 
like of other Muppets, I think that could have worked. But like the, the Reaper is kind of like the picture I think people have for yeah. Christmas Yes to Come. But I just think it was stiff. Like if it's surrounded by fog, it looks great. But the, I think I think the 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 Reaper style ghost is stiff, especially when you know what else they can do. Uh, but that's such a such a small criticism. Chad, how do you like the rendering for 1840s London here? Yeah, I I loved it. I was impressed. I know that Michael Caine said he came away impressed with uh, Brian Henson, and everything that they did. You know, Jack the Ripper could have been part of this scene. It would have been a very darker movie, but it just it conjures up those images of uh, Dickens's London. Yeah, this was shot in the Shepherd and Studios in England, so uh, it was an English production. But um, I love this set design. These little weird, distorted, skewed perspectives are interesting. And it's done at a scale where it's not so big that the Muppets don't feel like they're at home in it, but it's big enough that Scrooge and the uh, Michael Caine, the real actors, don't feel out of place either. They hit the sweet spot as far as that goes. And, you know, again, those angles gives it this feeling of this tightness that the Industrial Revolution, which is when this takes place, that would have happened. And so um, that that cramped feeling of yep. um, of those poverty-stricken Industrial Revolution streets are, are really interesting. And then that's also contrasted by bright colors of what they're wearing as well. And I just think that the, that turns the attention on the brightness of the Muppets in the wardrobe. And that's another thing, like, you know, Victorian times, I mean, we always think about it being kind of drab and stuff like that, but they were... They, they had, did have a lot of bright pop in your face colors and stuff like that. So, and patterns especially. So, I, they took a lot of detail in this, which I'm un, sadly, unfortunately, I don't think people fully appreciated. Uh, I do, watching it for sure, and I'm glad they did all that. Uh, it's it's impressive set work. I watched I watched uh, I, had, I rewatched Dune for last week's podcast and while there are some great costumes in that there are some bad ones too and there are no bad costumes in this movie I tell you what I mean even some of the things that like little old Rizzo has on like there's a lot of detailed little embroidery on his smock and I mean there's a I mean they change coats as they move through this more than you would be first aware of I mean it's very impressive to see the level of detail that not yes the human actors are put into the period but I'm more impressed at how much work they did for the Muppets themselves yeah. it, it's very impressive Polly Smith was the head of the costume design on this one and I just got to give her a huge shout out here I mean they put little buttons they had actual pockets like that you could put things into they're made with a whole lot of care and this is part of what Michael Caine was saying like it there is a real sense of life to it especially when performed by these pros who make the puppets come so to life the ghost of christmas past effects were created by making a special puppet that was operated in a tank of water and then that was green screened into the movie to make it look like it was floating around and gave that very fluid motion to it so very cool problem solving for something that didn't have the benefits of having the computer animation that we have today which would make something like that far easier but i just think it's really amazing how somebody like that gets through solving that problem to visualize that i think it, it kind of threw me off to see the ghost of christmas past floating in that way now let's let, as as we're talking about muppet special effects we've seen some incredible things we've seen muppets ride bikes before and if you look behind like the story of how they've done it like they did it it was practical how they did it 
And there are other little things, but even just seeing Kermit the Frog standing, and you see his legs, and a shooting star passes by, which was an homage to Jim Henson. Like, that's cool to see. Uh, the small amount of effects they do to have, like, him do a twirl and, like, have one foot up as he's skating is good. Other things, you know, if they were made nowadays, they'd be done a little better, like a little swirly backdrop to move through the future of the past. But everything... See, I think that looks good. I mean, there's stuff that's going to come after that that's going to look more hokey, okay. actually. Yeah, everything about it looks like it, like what you would expect, and it's good for its expectations, I guess is what I can say. And you mentioned the magic earlier. The shrinking of the Ghost of Christmas Past, or uh, the Ghost of Christmas Present, was was very cool to see when you see it. But I can't think of much much else as far as special effects wise, aside from just like when you see Muppets do things and like, oh, that's their whole body doing it. You see Rizzo the Rat jumping on a hot burning goose. Like that was either practical or not. <laughs> I fell down the chimney on a hot burning you goose. You have all the fun. And, I was, and it burned my feet. <laughs> you have all the fun. <laughs> like, like whether that was practical or special effect, it seemed real we're in this world where muppets exist and it seemed real that's all you need out of it I, yeah there's th- go ahead Chad. i do think it's funny it's not so much a practical effect but at the end they harken back to scrooge being mean to the bookkeeping rats and how they're freezing and then they suddenly kick into this is my island paradise <laughs> when he threatens them but uh, he gives them coal and little kids in the screening were upset so like what did the bookkeepers do right. to deserve coal and they they were sad about it but uh i thought that was a sweet little gesture as a kid i understood that they they already mentioned they needed more coal for the fire those kids weren't listening yeah yeah well i thought about kids. that on this rewatch only only this is the first time i've ever thought about like wait a minute coal for christmas oh no I got it at seven and i was not the smartest seven-year-old in the world so i mean uh yeah i i'm gonna say the kids complaining about that are below average. Oh man, Russell attacking children. It's not me. It's not yeah. Dan. That's yeah, That's, that's, Russell that's our thing. The kids are morons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm defending. I'm, I'm defending Brian Henson on that one. Sorry. No, but I mean it's amazing. I encourage anybody to YouTube some of the behind the scenes on this. It's amazing. Michael Caine's walking across about 18 inch wide walkways, and the rest of it is like lowered about three feet so that the performers the ventriloquists can be low enough that as they reach their hands up that the puppets are up where they need to be around michael Caine's waist and it's interesting how michael Caine has to move it seems very fluid and natural and it also is amazing how when you have to do that you have to take the puppets and you have to choose a side it's like train tracks like which side are you going to be on and orchestrating all that Chad's right. Michael Caine said that he was really impressed with Brian Henson. He was a pro at having been through productions like this, but he just said, I was really impressed that this was his first time being a director. I didn't realize it until partway through. It's like someone's just like, yeah, this is his first direction. It's like, wow. So um, a very skillful filmmaker. And he, Brian said that he liked to do something with every movie. They liked to push the limits of what they could do with the puppets. And for this one in particular, they really wanted to have Kermit, uh, walking down the street until the season and uh, to make it look like he was walking down a snow-covered street with his nephew Robin on his shoulder playing Tiny Tim uh, and to show him full body they had 10 puppeteers going at one time they rotated a green painted drum so that Kermit's would sorry not green painted a drum that was painted to look like a, a cobblestone street 
And so that when they put the puppet feet down, that it would hit the road, but the road would actually be rotating, and the puppeteers awesome. would be moving forward with it. And all those puppeteers have full body suit, including face covering, green mesh, so that they can be removed from the film, and then that film is overlaid with the other films of the matte painting of the background. It's really impressive when you don't have computers, how resourceful the Henson Workshop was. Everybody went to them for their science fiction and fantasy movies, and to see their, them pushing those practical effects, just to even say, like, I want to do something in this movie we haven't done before. You know, in the Muppets movie, Kermit rides a bicycle, and it looks magical. It's like, how is that even possible? His legs are so thin. Same thing here. He has 10 people just to walk down the street, and it's just because they wanted to push their craft farther, and I admire that about yeah, them. Forgive me for what I'm about to say if it sounds too sappy, but you can't accomplish stuff like that unless you care about your product. You care about what you're putting out into the world matters to the people that are you know, experiencing it. Uh, you mentioned like who's in the family. When it comes to the Muppets and the United States, it, we're all in the Muppets family. Like they care about everyone. It's for everyone, and I would even push it to worldwide. Like it is, they they care enough to have that. That could be done with with some type of effect, but to to put in that effort that you just described, that's that's out of love. That's out of love for the the product they're making, and and uh, nothing. You know, you can't say more than that. Chad, this movie is composed by Miles Goodwin, and the songs are written by Paul Williams, who these guys have worked before in the original Muppet movie and won Academy Awards for their Rainbow Connection song. What do you think about the music of A Muppet's Christmas Carol, especially coming to it first time? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Kermit's One More Sleep Till Christmas. The Marley and Marley song is probably the, my favorite out of all of them. And even a song, the It Feels Like Christmas like that that hurts my soul a little bit to say and just go, come out but yeah i enjoyed that as well i can listen to that song on just a christmas playlist and you know it just it holds its own dustin what about you what do you think about the music here uh it's a it's a 10 out of 10 um the, the everything everything included is is incredible the um the the first song where they're singing they're they're letting if you don't know Christmas Carol already they're letting you know that Scrooge is kind of a mean guy and and they're following through the town as you walking to the store yeah I, I'm with Chad here I, the the chains song with Marley and Marley is really good and uh, I think ending it on the love we found would be better if they keep the song in in the middle uh but but every every musical cue even without lyrics uh, part of the magic of a muppet movie is that the music is great Uh, whether or not there's one song that transcends and like hits the pop charts like you know rainbow connection um, or whether or not it's uh a grammy winner about whether or not you don't know if you're a muppet or not like the 2011 The Muppets. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't matter. The music has to be on point, and it is. Uh, is it all in all as great as the movie from... Or, sorry, as all in all as great as The Muppet movie? Can you picture that? I don't think so, but it's still a 10 out of 10. Like, like these movies really nail it. 
I I really like the Scrooge number when they introduce him and everybody's singing about him as he's walking through the streets. Those are very lively scenes. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it almost brings a little tear to your eye when you sing Tiny Tim singing Bless Us All around the Christmas table. And also as Scrooge has undergone his, you know, redemption and come through the love we found. And you're right, Dustin. I'm going to I put a pin in this one. The love is gone. I'm upset that it was removed. I saw it in theaters and I didn't obviously know what I was missing. But when we got the VHS, obviously it was there and it, it felt like it had to be there. And Brian Henson felt the same way that you feel. He feels that taking it out lessens the strength of the love we found later. It's a counterpoint to it, and it's a change in, in Scrooge as a character. And it's, first of all, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's about three minutes. It's not even, I don't think. And it's okay to feel sad because Scrooge has hurt himself yep. by being mean and cold. And it's good to feel that. And it's a beautiful song, and it's well performed by Meredith Braun. And you are right, Chad. Martina McBride is the voice of the soundtrack. That uh, if so, if you were to buy the soundtrack. So, unfortunately, Jeffrey Kazensberg of Disney Studios was one of the producers. Felt like this was just not appeal to young viewers, and he thought it was too boring, and they they had it scrapped. And unfortunately, it seemed like that film, that original film, was lost. And so subsequent releases are very patchy the vhs has it and the dvds that are converted the full screen has it widescreen does not my, my copy is widescreen yeah i know I'm, I'm normally a widescreen snob i want to see everything and i'm sad that that isn't there but in mid 2020 december sorry mid december of 2020 brian henson found the original negatives and uh, of that removed scene and he can now have them reinstated back to the film. And he hopes that for a 30th anniversary in 2022, he's hoping to have them put back in for Blu-rays so that it can be put back in there or at least be in a director's cut. Yeah. I mean, it's very jarring because you can tell where the song was supposed to be. And it just feels like something is clearly absent. Even during that scene when I didn't know the song was cut, I was like, what just happened right. here between <laughs> Bell and Scrooge? Yeah. Rizzo's crying, and it makes sense yeah. after the song. Doesn't really right. make that much sense, you know, without it. So, not only is his name hard to say, but Jerry Katzenberg of uh, Walt Disney Studios, you're bad at your job. Stop telling Brian Henson what to take out of his movies, because he's a good director. I gotta tell you, this is the craziest thing, and I didn't remember it until I was kind of like prepping for the show. When I was a kid, I would fast forward through the song. Oh, see, even I though it. it's a favorite of mine, if I were watching it by myself, I'd fast forward it through that song because it made me sad. Yeah. All right. Superlative time. You guys ready? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Dustin, who is your MVP? Miles Goodwin and Paul Williams. Uh, it was the last question you asked, but like, how do you like the music? Well, you, you love the music because it's perfect. They, they did a great job. Uh, so the 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 writing the lyrics all of it was was as it needed to be and then the score for the rest of the movie was was just fantastic they nailed the tone of each scene well done y'all chad who's your mvp michael kane i think when an actor really has passion for a project and his commitment to treating it like a shakespearean play instead of you know winking to the camera and acknowledging the muppets it's just such a wonderful twist on this movie i that's a, those are great choices, and I'm glad you both picked them. I was really close to picking Miles Goodwin and Paul Williams myself, but as I read through this just to see that 
the void that Jim left and how Brian stepped up to keep the show running and to keep this tradition for future generations and how he did it so aptly. I got to say, Brian Henson gets my MVP, but Miles Goodwin and Paul Way, I'm sure, did do some great music, and I would certainly more than give a nod to them on this one. So I like Dustin's pick as well. Best Supporting Actor, Dustin. Uh, Meredith Braun. Uh, there's not many other actors aside from our Muppet performers. Uh, I just, I, she's got such a lovely singing voice. It reminded me of the very first actress, or, or sorry, the very first actor slash singer that to ever perform as Eponine in Les Misérables. Um, it is there's a very particular type of like mousy soulfulness in, in a movie where there are actually mice. Uh, like her voice is just great, and so I'm I'm giving it to her. Yeah, between the wardrobe and her look, she she just felt like she stepped out of a time machine. Wow, yeah, good point. Chad, best supporting actor. I will never not pick Stadler and Waldorf. (laughs) (laughs) I've loved them since I was a little kid. They have the best lines, and in this case, they have the best song. So, Stadler and Waldorf slash Jacob and Robert Marley. Chains! So there's a theme here with me. My best supporting actor is going to also go into filling Jim Henson's gigantic shoes, and that's Steve Whitmer, who does Rizzo the Rat, as well as Kermit the Frog. And he's all over this movie. And so he gives you the feels, he gives you the laughs, and I'm going to give Stephen Whitmer. Yeah, nice. Hidden Jim, Dustin. Uh, for me, I think it's always cool. Uh, you know, in Treasure Island, you've got several of the pirates are, are Muppets from the past. You don't normally get Sesame Street Muppets on like any uh, of the of the <clears throat> Muppet movie stuff. A Big Bird makes an appearance sometimes. But my hidden gems are Lou Zealand, Bean Bunny, The Penguins, Pops, Wonder McMooch, Curly Twirly, Mudwell the Mud Bunny, and The Ink Spots. All named Muppets who are just bit characters in this movie. Well done in the background, y'all. That's, that, that's, that, that's very close to mine. That's very close to mine as Bean well, Bunny's but, uh... good. Yeah. Bean, Bean Bunny shines of all of those. Yeah. Uh, Chad, what's yours? Hidden Jim. So Dustin mentioned the appearance of Sesame Street characters, but I'm going to talk about a Fraggle Rock character. Sprocket the dog yeah. is in the background. And so I, that was something I wasn't so much a Muppets when I was younger, but I watched a lot of Fraggle Rock. So it was cool seeing Sprocket. That was mine as well. And I like the Fraggles. <laughs> I like Sesame Street. And I like anything Jim Manson touches pretty much. Um, yeah. My re- sorry, recast Dustin. Uh, this is difficult, but I think the movie changes completely if you do it. But if you had to pick a Muppet to play Scrooge, would you pick anyone else besides Oscar the Grouch? So that's <laughs> my recast. Even though it changes the tone of everything, I think it'd be pretty fun. It's a fun answer to a hard question. Chad, how about you? Recast. I'm going to go after the ghost of Christmas present, which I feel bad. You and should. We'll have to duck. You should. Justin, but <laughs> I love Sweetums, and I want Sweetums in this role. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. Well, Christmas present is also just this amazing technical feat. Like, it's a man standing in a suit, yes, but then there's another guy doing the voice acting and all the facial controls. So it's amazing if you see the control board there. Like, he's got, like, levers to make the eyes blink or to independently to move the mouth. And so... He's watching a screen zoomed in on his face so that he's doing that while talking into the microphone. Super impressive on, again, the technical feat of Christmas present. So that makes me sad for 
uh, lots of reasons, but uh, I do like Sweetums and working Scooter and Sweetums into the Fozzywig party, add just a little bit of party scene, and you can squeeze Scooter and Sweetums in there. These yeah. are just some old favorites that I just want to see get in the movie, and I think that I understand the the voice actor for Scooter is not well at the time, but just make a non-speaking appearance or do something funny in the background with them in that scene. Best shot, Dustin. My best shot is when Statler scares Scrooge as the doorknob of his building. Uh, still, I can think of it like to this day. I, I, it's dark. The tone is perfect, and it's um, it's a it's a cool effect uh, to happen. So I, I think that was a cool shot. Best shot, Chad. At, Russell's mentioned it, but at the end of Kermit's first song, "One More Sleep Till Christmas," he's on the street, and a shooting star passes by overhead. So that's an homage not only to a classic Muppet shot, but also to Jim Henson. That is mine as well. We're, we're stride for stride. I think we had the same hidden gem and recast and now best shot, Chad. So we're, we're, we're starting to sync up a lot here. Dustin, what's your best scene? I think it's when Scrooge is alone in his house um, trying to uh, – he's doing the thing that all people would do, uh, it, like which which is cool whenever like there's something that seems realistic, which is he's trying to bargain and like make, make this make sense. Like I'm not seeing you. You're a crumb of cheese. You're a bit of stale bread. You're a stomachache. You're a hallucination. Um, I've always – like I like when that – when stuff like that is kept in the story, and I thought uh, he kind of plays that – uh, a moment of like incredulous disbelief like no this isn't happening this this isn't real ghosts aren't real and then like no it's real scrooge and we're gonna save your life i, I love that yeah chad best scene well i didn't expect to cry during a muppets movie but uh when bob cratchit is talking about picking a grave site so tiny tim could see the ducks i just sort of lost it it was so sweet and heartfelt so yeah i'm getting a little misty eyed just thinking about yeah. it my best scene is going to go to the warm feelings of the Ghost of Christmas present singing It Feels Like Christmas. To me, that's just the turning point for Scrooge, and it's just flat-out Christmas spirit in a bottle for me, and I want to drink it up. Mm. Dustin, best wardrobe moment. Uh, great Gonzo in his Charles Dickens costume. Uh, we talked about how great the costumes were, uh, but you know, it, it, he's got a shirt, a vest, a coat, a top coat, a hat, an ascot, a scarf. Like he's got all of this stuff, and it works. Uh, so like I, I and I love to give credit to the great Gonzo when I can. He is great. Chad, best wardrobe makeup moment. Beaker's red scarf. It's yep. just such a touching moment when he gives it to Scrooge, and it's just it kind of completes that transformation in the wardrobe. So I love that. You know what? I came in with a different answer, but having hearing Dustin mention it earlier and the significance of handing a piece of color to a colorless life is very symbolic. And it's it's profound for Scrooge because he's never received a gift and he sees how good it feels. And I have to pick the red scarf as well just by what it means to the movie. Uh, I never realized it until we were talking about it here. So despite having seen it so many times. So red scarf, I like that answer. Sorry, I don't mean to steal all your answers, Chad. <laughs> you talk me into it. You're a good salesman. Change one mm-hmm. thing, okay. Dustin. Keep the love is gone in the movie. It's so easy to say. Just keep it in. Yes. Where is the love? Oh, and no. ch- yeah, Chad, how about you? Change one thing. Can I keep harping on this? I find the lack of Scooter unacceptable. I agree with you. Put him in that party as like doing a checklist of foods or hors d'oeuvres or whatever 
for Fozzie Wig's party. I find your lack of scooter unacceptable. Yeah. Yes. And mine's going to be very, very similar to Dustin's. I not only want to keep the love is gone, but I want those two soundtrack songs that got cut as well. I want to hear Today You're Being Crowned by Sam Eagle, and I want to hear Bunsen and Beaker sing their song too. So uh, Jerry Katzenberg, if you're bad at your job, and my change one thing is you, stop cutting awesome songs. So <laughs> Dustin, best quote. Uh, I, I'm going to take just a small amount of time here to give what the original quote is and what the quote in the movie is. The original quote from the from the story, There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I'm going to relate. Move to the Muppet movie version of it, right? The building was a dismal heap of brick on a dark street. Now once again, I must ask you to remember that the Marleys were dead and decaying in their graves. That one thing you must remember, or nothing that follows will seem wondrous. Why are you whispering? It's for dramatic emphasis. Oh. <laughs> so, like, it, 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 they, they punch up this incredible line. Then they add in Great Gonzo and Rizzo, Rizzo being silly at the end. Like, it's it's incredible. I loved it. Yes. Chad, best quote. My speech. Here's my Christmas speech. <laughs> Ahem. Thank you all, and Merry Christmas. That was the speech. It was dumb. It was obvious. It was pointless. No! It was short. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> yes. And Chad mentioned mine earlier, but I got a huge crack out of it as a kid, and I still do. And uh, we can't do the bookkeeping when all our pens have turned to icicles. Our assets have been frozen. And Scrooge says, how would the bookkeepers like to suddenly be unemployed? And the rats all saying, heat wave. This is my island in the sun. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I love animated, cartoonish things like that. And I also really love nod to the, uh, how do you know everything that's going on up there? He's like, because I'm omniscient. What does that mean? I know everything. Oh, look at you, Mr. Hoity Toity. Uh, There's something we didn't mention. I almost made it my best shot, but it's when when Gonzo shouts out, when the bell tolls one, and then blasts out of the, the window. Like he Matt, he's a narrator, but he's also having to physically get around like the Victorian sets with Rizzo. Like there's comedy there. It's just like this. It's it's more than a ten out of ten. You can fit to the bars. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You're such an idiot. Such an idiot. <laughs> now, Dustin, do I need to ask on a five star scale with half star intervals? What would you give the Muppets Christmas Carol? I, there is nothing else but a five out of five. It, 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 as I mentioned before, it accomplishes everything that it meant to accomplish. It introduces things that you did not expect. The, the narration by the great Gonzo, uh, the comedy, the, um, the, the bit players, the, the pigs talking about how, oh, I'll go to the funeral if there's uh, lunch provided. Uh, everything that's true to the story, the story is already great. So if you start with the source material that rules, you're going to get a movie usually that, like, if they stay close to it, also rules. This is, um, I guess I'll have to say definitively, my favorite Christmas movie. Five out of five. All right. Chad, five-star scale. How about you, man? I have to follow that. Okay. So me and Christmas movies, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go four stars. I love the Muppets. This was a charming movie. I just want a little bit more 
comedy from Miss Piggy, like give her a little bit bigger part, maybe even a different part. And it's the darkest of the Muppets. So it's a classic tale, but it's not as fun all the time. It's probably the least funny of all the Muppets movies. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it though. And so four star for a Christmas movie for me. Well, you like, there's a behind the scenes footage where all the puppets are still in puppet form talking as if they were actors and miss piggy said it's a good movie but what would make it an even better movie is if it had more me in it she's right <laughs> and my rating is also going to be right there with dustin i'm going to go with five star rating it warms my heart to no end and it's there for me every christmas and it's just one of those ones that just feels good so it's it's a personal i can't not give it a five it's just how how positively i view it and uh, I'm actually angry at a lot of the critics at the time for being so skeptical towards this one. I feel like it has made a big comeback and people are appreciating it, probably because a lot of the kids who were that age, such as Dustin and I, have now grown up. And we are now the keepers of what is nostalgically loved. So uh, the millennial generation is the largest generation yet pop in the population. And uh, we, as we age... It's interesting things that we valued we're passing down on to our kids. And so this one is definitely standing the test of time is my point. It's living beyond its box office numbers. And I think Jim Henson said, I want to make the world a better place. And I think he more than accomplished that with all of his wonderful creations. And no more than here when it continues on beyond him is it ever evident. So just something truly magical to this one for everybody of all generations. Yeah. Now, Chad, you want to have me pick a movie for next time? Love to. How about some Coen Brothers? Option number one, Intolerable Cruelty from 2003. A beautiful gold digger matches wits with a shrewd Beverly Hills divorce lawyer who is increasingly attracted to her. Option two, Miller's Crossing from 1990. Tom Reagan, an advisor to a Prohibition-era crime boss, tries to keep the peace between warring mobs but gets caught in the divided loyalties. And then option three, Fargo from 1996. A Minnesota car salesman, Jerry Lungard's inept crime falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and persistent police work of the quite pregnant Marge Gunderson. Oh, we're going up to Minnesota, don't you know? Oh, Fargo. Yeah. 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 Fargo. Get your quotes. Yeah, that'll be good. Thank you all so much for listening to this one. It made me happy. So uh, we want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And I really want to tell you guys, when you hit that subscribe button, that really helps because you help lift our our, uh, downloads up. That helps get the show noticed. And those reviews and comments especially, especially helps us come up in searches. So I always say it at the end of every show, but here at the end of the year, I just really want to remind you, if you enjoy this podcast even remotely a little bit, it's really helpful to give us a like on Facebook and to give us a review on iTunes. It's still the biggest provider of podcasts. It helps us more than you could possibly imagine. And follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And providing and, po- and providing and producing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. As always, thank you for listening. And be good to each other and watch more movies. Chat? Are you a man or a Muppet?